All right, everyone. Welcome to the Kind of Pony podcast. Shit, okay. no. Do what you did. Do what you did, Paul. Just tell him. Just say whatever you want. Just whatever you want. The dog and pony yes. show. Let's do that. Yes. We are the dog and pony show. That's what politics is anyway. Yep. The dog and pony show. So I'd like to start by just talking about something that we were talking about before this episode started, which is the fact that uh, Philip... Brett and I are in the debate tournament, and I'd like to read to you all one of the debate motions that we had to do. Okay. <clears throat> you are sitting at home on a Friday evening trying to find something to watch on Netflix, but you're already watching the new Chappelle special, so you're basically screwed. Why are you home alone on a Friday night instead of out socializing with your friends? Because if you're reading this, that means you're a debater. And since... There wasn't a tournament that weekend. You decide it's finally time to start your the jogging routine that you set out as a New Year's resolution. Yes, it's still March 25th in this hypothetical. After removing your lazy-ass cat from your lap, you change into running clothes, throw on your shoes, and are out the door. After 45 minutes or a half a mile into your jog, a cargo truck drives by you, driven by a 73-year-old man. From this point on in the motion, yes, this is a motion. Let's assume that you are that you know the things that I say you know, because you're basically Sherlock. The Benedict Cumberbatch one, not Robert Downey Jr. one. And then it continues on. One yeah, second. Are you really gonna read the whole thing? Like the last sentence. The whole though. fucking thing. In the back of the truck is a breeding pair of young pandas. Why is this guy driving a pair of pandas down the road where you live? Because otherwise, this shit wouldn't work. About 200 yards down the road, the driver suddenly swerves in to avoid hitting a row of ducklings that suddenly appeared in front of them. I feel like by now you already know the motion, but I'm going to keep going. He loses control of the truck crashes violently into a tree, and the truck engine catches on fire. Oh, the humanity. You know, you have exactly 73 seconds. The truck is going to explode, killing everyone and everything in a 13-yard radius. Remember, Sherlock, you have, one only, you have time to save either the elderly driver or both the pandas. And the motion is, this house would save the pandas. We have to fucking debate that. So you have to debate on behalf of saving the pandas. Uh, the way that it works is that we're Br it's British Parliament, so that um, there's yeah, two yeah. sides. Yeah, they actually say that. Like, if they like your argument, they're like, "Here, here." Yeah. <laughs> and if they I don't watched, like it, I you can yell music. shame. You can yell shame. I should start doing that. Well, you can, but generally speaking, the judges are like, "Why the fuck are you doing that? You fucking spaz." <laughs> Well, then it's really not like British Parliament at all, is it? I mean, that would be like the best part of British Parliament, would it not? Yeah, that's just, uh, that's just Ummer's opinion speaking out there. Well, I think it's easy. If you're arguing on behalf of saving the pandas, be like, they're endangered. There's plenty of old people. There's more every day. Yeah, but who gives a shit about pandas? What do they even do? Uh, like everybody cares about pandas. Are you kidding me? I don't. 
I mean, China like, does. The argument that I gave, like, I gave a weird ass argument, like, so weird that the judge basically just called me an asshole for not taking the debate seriously. Yeah. What was your argument? I'm going to let Brett go ahead and give my argument. No, you give it. All right. Well, my argument was basically like, hey, you know, if you save those pandas, you get an interview on, from, on Anderson Cooper, you know, you get reward money from China, and you can ride the pandas to safety out of the blast radius. And in saving the pandas, you can, you know, like kind of amp up your workout by opening the door and like getting those fat ass pandas start moving. Yeah, I'm going to agree. That also, was a bad argument. <laughs> I don't think you really cared. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Did you listen to the debate thing? Yeah, I don't think you take this seriously. I'm honestly very disappointed. It's not that I'm mad, it's that I'm disappointed. Aww. I, I, I am not sorry at Brutal. all. Brutal. <laughs> I, I think that what are you the people yeah. writing the debate didn't, I think people writing the motion didn't take it seriously. Uh, I think that initially speaking, I tried to take it seriously, but like eventually I was like, you know what? Like, this isn't something to be taken seriously. Well, you know what we should take seriously? And that is oh, the news. <laughs> and reviews. Oh, man. I thought you were going to do a baked in ad. Darn. Now we don't we don't have advertisers because no one is, wants to advertise our broke ass political show. Do we? Have yes. Hey, we're only on episode zero. Where is space? Like... Build it beautiful. Oh man. I don't think, I think, yeah, I don't think we get paid for that. Everyone and their mother is just sponsored by Squarespace. Like everything you see, Squarespace. Yeah. True. They got that money. Like. All right. All right. News. Is there any? Well, how, how about it, you what, start off the podcast? News you got. Right. Piping hot. Piping hot news. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Dog and Pony Show podcast, where two liberals, two conservatives, and a moderator discuss political shit. And all for your amusement, and hopefully it doesn't devolve into blood sport. So, Paul, what what, what happened this week, or what what, what are we going to be talking about? Like, well, why, why, don't we, why don't we introduce ourselves first, considering this is episode zero? Again, <laughs> again. By the way, oh. we already recorded an episode zero, except it didn't record, except for one person. It, so we kind of have to. Didn't need to know that. Well, now the cat's out of the bag. What are you going to do? Ah, oh, damn. Behind okay. the scenes. Scoop. So I'll start. I'm, uh, my name is Paul. Pod. All right, all right. I'll start. My name is Paul. Uh, I guess I'm one of the liberals on the show. I consider myself a recovering conservative. I grew up in conservative America. Was incredibly conservative up until post-college days. And uh, I would say now I'm... Probably the biggest liberal here, but we'll see how it goes. All right, next up is our other Californian friend. Uh, Marco, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? 
Yeah, some names. Marco. Um, I would say I am a liberal as well. Um, from he's not Bay just area. a liberal. He's the father of the podcast. I'm the father of the podcast. What? What? Yeah, because the reason that this podcast started is because this gentleman over here posted on a Facebook group and said, "Hey, I want to start a podcast." And then all all of us were like, "Yeah, let's fucking do it." Am I taking credit for this? Really? I mean, I'm giving you credit. Like, don't get me All wrong. Right, cool. Hey, hey. Well, whether or not you credit, not that. Whether or not we give you credit, I'm still calling you daddy. So I hope we're comfortable with that. Oh, all right. I'm okay with that. Okay. Good. Good. All is well. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So next up, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself as someone who's a bit liberal and a bit conservative. I have some liberal views and some conservative views. I'm mostly on the left, though. I'm going to try and be the impartial moderator dude. Uh, my name is Umar from California. And, yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Brett next, because he seems like he wanted to go next. Yeah, I really want to. Uh, <laughs> my name is Brett. I started out as a libertarian in high school, and then I became more right-wing as time went on when I moved to a super, super liberal liberal arts college, because it's called liberal arts, of course it's liberal. And that's where I am today. Yippee. All right, next up is our friend Philip. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Philip. I am conservative Republican. I would consider myself to have uh, certain attributes of a uh, civic nationalist, uh, preserving nation states, and I grew more conservative over the years, especially coming to Willamette. I thought that I'd become more liberal due to exposure to uh, certain ideas prevalent among the student body. However, quite the opposite has happened. So this is where I am today. All right. So now that we've all introduced ourselves, Let's go ahead and do some newsy shit. And that's what we're going to call this segment. All right, let's do some newsy shit. All right, well, the first story on the newsy shit is uh, the fallout from the healthcare repeal and replace. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was the week before last, so we're recording this on, uh, on Monday, uh, April 3rd. Uh, so the <coughs> Friday before last, the Republican American Healthcare Act uh, was scuttled in the House before it even went up for a vote. Uh, basically, they couldn't get the votes for it uh, in the House. And the key holdout really was the House Freedom Caucus, which is the very conservative, I would say, Tea Party wing of the Congress. And um, so afterwards, uh, Donald Trump, as Donald Trump is wont to do, uh, went after the Freedom Caucus. Um, saying on Twitter that uh, the Freedom Caucus will hurt the entire Republican agenda if they don't get on the team and fast. And he said this, uh, we must fight them and Dems in 2018. Um, he continued that throughout the day, saying oh, other Republicans have to fight uh, Freedom Caucus Republicans in the 2018 midterms. Um, subsequently, the Freedom Caucus release their demands of what they want to see in a health care uh, repeal and replace act. Among those were they want to 
the problems that they had with the original American Health Care Act were, one, that it still maintained any subsidies for anyone, um, even though 24 million Americans would lose coverage under the act, according to the CBO. Um, the Freedom Caucus wants to go further by cutting Medicaid and also uh, removing the uh, Obamacare provisions for the Patient Bill of Rights, which is basically that says that uh, any valid insurance policy has to cover uh, 10 categories of medical benefits that include outpatient care, emergency services, hospitalization, uh, pregnancy, maternity, and newborn care, mental health and substance abuse, um, prescription drugs, rehabilitative and habilitative services and devices which help people with injuries and disabilities recover, laboratory services, preventative care, and pediatric services. Uh, so they, long they list. Yeah. So they, they, they want the, the requirements that those things have to be covered repealed. So... Silly, silly, Paul. There's a very simple solution to this. All you have to do is not spend your money on like things like iPhones, and you know, spend your money on things that matter. Yeah, that that was the famous. Uh, I would uh, say that that was a straw man, but it wasn't. Well, that was yeah, <laughs> that, that was exactly. actually that was something that was made. <laughs> yeah. Little, little do we know, I, there's that magical healthcare plan that covers all those things and only costs $700 a year, like an iPhone. Where am I missing that? That's what I need to sign up for. So I was thinking about um, universal healthcare. And, um, you know, people bring up the differences between Europe and America all the time. Um, but I'm going to go one step further, which is that... Um, like America is a lot more unhealthy compared to European countries. And a lot of it is due to choice, I think. Like um, people eat unhealthy, obesity is like a huge problem compared to like um, European countries. So if you give people like free care for, you know, type two diabetes because they've been eating too many cheeseburgers throughout their life, or if you, give people um free health care for um the side effects of being a smoker like heart problems and stuff like that i mean ultimately that's, that's, what that's... you're doing is is you're 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 not you're not putting like the natural punishments that should be in place for like i being mean health. that that's kind of a bullshitty argument because the reason that the tobacco industry is as big as it is, is because they have an ass ton of lobbyists and they're allowed to give as much money as they want to to politicians because of what, the Citizens United bill. What does that have and to do have, with people choosing to, to smoke? I mean, everyone What do you mean, what does that do with people to smoke? Wait, wait, wait. So you don't, think they have, you don't think they don't have cigarettes in other countries? I'm not saying they don't have cigarettes in other countries. We're no, talking no, no. about. I'm asking, I'm asking Brett. Oh, so you're um, saying the differences between Europe are as much, but that well, isn't all, true. Well, first of all, I mean you're verifiably wrong. Like, yes, the United States has uh, higher rates of uh, obesity and stuff like that, but that's also a problem in Europe. Maybe not to the extent that it is the in the United yeah, States. Yeah, there you go. But it's pretty close, right? I mean. And keep in mind, two-thirds of Americans now qualify as, as being overweight. 
the idea that this is a personal responsibility issue. Like, if two-thirds of Americans were living in poverty, nobody would say that it was a personal problem, right? Like, that would be a government problem and an economic systemic problem. But even so, Americans being overweight at 66%, I mean, the UK, who has a national health care service, is at uh, 55 to 60%. So we're not, like, further way out in left field, first of all. And second of all, you're making arguments against other regulations, right? You're making arguments against stricter regulations that they have against tobacco advertising. For example, in Australia, all, all, there's no such thing as a brand for cigarettes. Every pack of cigarettes basically has a picture of, like, a cancerous lung or messed up gums on it to dissuade people from yeah. buying things that we don't do here but that's not I mean, an also something that i'd like if, to what say if all is, those regulations if, if, are in place if, if i may there, there's oh, the right. obesity i feel is also aided by the fact that it's cheaper to buy a burger or to buy junky ass food than it is to buy anything decently healthy because we're subsidizing the wrong things like it's cheaper to get a liter of soda than it is to get like smaller things of soda because everything is subsidized and corn syrup is subsidized. We subsidize corn so heavily and we're essentially making it so that all these corporations and what have you can create this havoc for the healthcare system. And we set it up so that we don't negotiate with companies for lowering the price of medicine like the fact that the EpiPen costs as much as it is is a fucking disgrace so i mean just to be clear we have data on this and it costs a dollar 50 more per day to eat healthier than it does to eat unhealthy and when you have 48 million americans or 46 million i think it is americans on food stamps where they only get you know 100 bucks or something a week for a family of four I yeah, mean, what, you, what's you their definition of healthy there? Like, where are they shopping? Do what? Because it really, it really depends, like, on the area. No, that's just on average. No. Anywhere you go, it is more expensive. On average? Is, yes. Where is, it is this? More expensive. It is more expensive to eat healthy than it is to eat unhealthy. It's I mean, Amherst bringing up, like, soda, water's free at, like, every restaurant you go to. I mean, so, you say that, but, like, yes. Well, that's not really what we're talking about. So to say that, like, being unhealthy, like, being healthy is, like, more expensive, I think is debatable at... It's verifiable. I mean, yes. And you can debate the soda thing. Okay, I'd like to see a link on that. And secondly, like, even if being healthy is more expensive, that just means that there's less demand for it. And... By accommodating people who choose to be unhealthy, what you're doing is you're encouraging you're 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 not discouraging people enough. So doesn't your argument fall apart when you say other countries that do have single payer healthcare systems have better health outcomes? I mean, I think that overall, like the U.S. has more health problems than, say, Sweden or Norway. Or oh yes, that's because we have a lot more fucking people. No, like oh, no, percentage. You're talking about rates. Yeah. Yeah. But wouldn't so, like, that also the include... UK, oh, sorry. The UK is an outlier in Europe, basically. 
So my Why concern is, UK, is not because British like to eat and they have shitty diets. Man, he's, this guy's coming with the data. I'll tell you what. No, I mean, have you ever like looked at British cuisine? It's fucking disgusting, especially like low like. That's kind of a vast generalization here. Yeah, yeah. So ton of healthy Everyone British rips food. On British food. Come on, guys. So they have terrible food, right. and that's why they like to eat. Fucking Indian, and like the main oh, shtick of Indians is to fucking rip on British people, and even I have to admit, like British food isn't that unhealthy. I like I've seen pictures and like um, BBC documentaries of like fat people in Britain, and they like eat and weird, like disgusting, like super fatty. Like, but even the, as an American, I'm like... You see a documentary about fat people. Like, you're not going to have a documentary about fat people and see them, like, eating, like, salads 24-7. Because if they ate salads 24-7, they wouldn't be fucking fat asses. That's just, like, a possible explanation, okay? Like, I don't know why, but... Britain These are is just like non-sequiturs. You're just the making higher... up. There's not data anywhere for any of that. Okay, would you say that Britain has a higher rate of obesity than Norway? Sure. But, well, I'm, let, not let's, saying, I'm not saying I'm diet saying, doesn't have a problem with saying. that. So don't and I'm not saying diet doesn't have back. a problem with that. But then you use that as an argument of why not to have single-payer health care. And, and in fact, what UK actually has is they have socialized health care. So the doctors and the hospitals are government. They're federally run, right? Which is not what single-payer is. But, uh, I mean, so, but the idea, like, you're using this health outcomes as a reason that we can't do it here. Well, A, ignoring the fact that uh, socialized health care uh, leads to better outcomes across the world, and B, that we also have the highest uh, income per capita in the world, so and the largest base to draw on from the world. And insurance gets cheaper, it scales with size. So if anybody would have an easier way, it would be the United States, just based on our sheer size. Anyways, I don't, mean um, I don't mean that as like size of the waistline. If there's people that are like obviously like abusing the system and like being super unhealthy despite, you know, getting a ton of assistance and they just continue being unhealthy and their medical expenses get more and more and more expensive and they show like no signs of like improving. I think it's morally acceptable I mean, for yes. the government to like bury them in debt, like just allow them to get swamped because if like we're not doing anything to change their lifestyle. Who gives a shit then? I mean, well, I think yeah, you're, you're, you're like, making arguments for more. You're making arguments is, for more progressive policies on like you're making arguments for sugar taxes and you're making arguments for not having uh, the food industry uh, have a say in the nutrition fact labeling. Right. I mean, those are the kind of arguments you're making. Right. I mean, like the no, reason I'm, we don't the reason we don't argue, have nutrition arguing, facts, the reason we don't have nutrition facts on alcohol is because uh, alcohol isn't regulated by the FDA. It's regulated by the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And the alcohol industry doesn't want that you knowing how many calories are in beer. Like, the arguments you're making are arguments against those things, not arguments against single-payer. I mean, no, they're arguments for and against single-payer. Sure, I, so I, make I those arguments. Don't talk about, like, America's just fat, so what are you going to do? Like, well, this, there's this impression... Also, I there's this impression that we're not paying for it now. We are paying for it. The government is subsidizing healthcare already. That you legally yeah. cannot go to a hospital 
without it being you like they can't turn you away for not having insurance. So who pays for that? The taxpayers pay for that. Insurance payers pay for that. Okay. Most people, 50% of the country has their insurance through their employer. Well, that's costing $380 billion a year in tax credits that the government gives to companies with more than 50 employees to offer group light or group health insurance, right? Then you figure there's another 10% of Americans on Medicare, which the government is paying for. And there's another 20% of Americans on Medicaid, which the government is paying for. So the government is okay, already not subsidizing really the hell. with what I'm saying. Okay, no. okay. Just, all, right, all right. Like, when people say so, that healthcare is like a human right and everyone should have it, like, should everyone have it? Like, should everyone just get, like, unlimited health care? Or should there be limits? And I think the government should, like, look at a case-by-case basis on people who, like, choose to be unhealthy and are abusing the system. And, like, how do you say what what is, like, who is and isn't choosing to be unhealthy? There are tons of extenuating circumstances, right? There are genetic yeah, reasons. We, we learn every deny, day there are genetic links to obesity. There are genetic, so, so, you're say, so you're saying somebody who's born... So, okay, you're, you're talking about this in the purely in the extent of fat people, right? And, oh, well, if fat people are stuffing their faces with nachos, then we should let them die. Those aren't the people that are driving up the most health care costs. The people that are using the most health care costs are, when elderly people. And, two, people with congenital defects or people with congenital things that they're born with. So somebody is born with a congenital heart condition. Oh, sorry, we let you die. So, you know, you lost the genetic lottery. Too bad. Yeah, it nope, should uh, nope. differentiate between choice and like what you're inherited with. Definitely. Okay, so you're gonna set up. So you're gonna set up the government panel that just dis- makes that decides that people are living their lives properly. Uh, yeah, because the government is the one spending a shit ton of money for their health care. Of course, they're gonna decide like who gets the kind of care. Like, where resources go. That's ultimately where it is. And it's not like you just, like, throw them on the street. You just raise their premiums. Is that a cutoff? I think that that was just a side point. I think, like, if as long as you're careful with it and use it, like, only in extreme cases, then it's fine. But, like, I think we should err on the side of the ultimate goal is defanging the corporations and making it so that they can't, you know, have these kinds of requests and they can't say, you know, we want to subsidize fast food and make it so that it's far easier to be obese and it's far easier to do that thing. Like there's a reason that, you know, like Michelle Obama had this whole eat healthy initiative. Because this is a problem in the United States that we need to handle, but the way that we handle it isn't by giving less people health care. I mean, like addiction, especially I mean, like food addiction or drug addiction, like that, is a medical problem. Like food addiction, like this kind of addiction is a medical problem. And like we should treat it like a medical problem. Like we shouldn't treat addiction like you know, I don't, I don't know a word. Just like we should treat it like the disease that it is. Help people not want to eat. Help people not want to eat terrible food. Work with them to want to eat better food. Like have like, I don't know, fucking food rehab or something. But I mean, there's even a limit to that. I mean, I was watching a documentary on like people with uh, kids who are addicted to meth. 
and basically what happens is you know kids catch meth uh, like some walk of life and they eventually what, go broke what did you say catch I'm meth I'm, it's like, it's like I'm sorry. They, they, they use it they use it they get addicted you know and basically their parents take them in because they have no place to go and it's either they live at their parents house or they um sleep on the street and they're homeless so what happens then is like they don't all of a sudden you know give up on like meth most of them like continue using it and since they don't have to pay money for housing and like all these other expenses they're much more like likely to get meth and sell it to other people so what you have is like this never ending cycle of they like, do people. meth the reason they do meth is because of deeper mental and societal issues like no one gets up and says i want to become a meth head you know you start doing drugs like yeah, meth exactly. I alcohol mean, regardless of whether or not they want to mental do it. issues Re- regardless and whether or not they want to do it do like, by taking is, them in as a parent by taking them in as a parent, you're putting like other kids at risk of like getting yeah, well, like, addicted. That's what, what you're you doing. Do and you're the facilitating the addiction. Treat That's the disease, how it's spread. not the symptoms. Because if you treat the symptoms, that doesn't do anything. You if need to treat the disease. Addict, you you have a less chance of like being employed or like getting a job. So a lot of these people they sell meth. That's how they make their money. They're involved in the social circles and they sell meth. So that, and that's just describing issues with society because we don't treat we don't treat addiction as a disease. We treat it as oh, clearly you're a bad person because you did some of the drugs. Well, but even if you, that's how we do everything, right? Like that's the conservative manifesto these days. If you're poor, work harder, right? If you're addicted to something, well, you shouldn't have got addicted to it. Just stop using meth. Have you tried not using meth? Right? Like oh, if you're fat, have you tried not eating? Right. Like that's the conservative manifesto. And meanwhile, all these things keep getting worse and nobody's looking at it going like, hey, maybe telling people have they tried not doing something isn't working. Okay, yeah, but if you if if you're weak on these subjects, you're just going to spread it even more in certain situations like the parents, the parent, the parents being weak and not kicking their kid out for selling meth in their basement. They're hurting their entire community. They're, they're fucking everyone. They're not getting over. them help. They are giving them help. They're feeding them. Yeah, but- they're being positive with them. They're doing all the great things that a parent should do. And you know what does jack shit? Because the addiction is too strong. It's too strong to beat in most cases. So, like saying, oh, everyone deserves like housing and food and stuff like that. It's fine to a certain level. I mean, it's not like they're going to die on the street, but at least they won't be in a neighborhood like with more uh, money to spend and use a meth. And I'm like, sure that's exactly sell- what would happen if they don't have housing. If they die it, on the street. Okay, all right. So, well, well, all this is awesome conversation. Well, yeah. So I just, I just want to quickly recap to um, House Democrats uh, are introducing a bill <laughs> that will bring back single payer health care. Uh, New York has already passed single payer health care. Single payer health care in the assembly. It, they're trying. They one vote shy in the Senate, and California is working single payer health care through the system too. Healthcare is awesome. I love it. But like, we spent. According to this Skype call, I don't know how long we've been recording, but we've been talking about how how long we've we been recording, Paul. Uh, it's about thirty minutes. 
Yeah, we've been spending about 30 minutes, not 30 minutes, good 15, 20 minutes talking about healthcare. I feel like we should move on at this point. Yeah. Okay. Like, this okay. is just article. Like, we, we haven't even gotten to the topic of the, we haven't even gotten to the weekly topic yet. All right. So let's go. Okay, next. Um, so, yeah, next topic Trump, Russia. Yeah, so uh, I think the good place to start here is the timeline of Devin Nunes. So, Devin Nunes is the head of the uh, House Intelligence Committee. And basically, uh, the House Intelligence Committee is the committee, the Senate has one as well. But basically, that's the committee that the NSA, the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security report to on classified information. So that Congress has some oversight, but all of Congress doesn't see the classified information. So Devin Nunes is the the head of the, he's the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, and he was also, interestingly, part of the Trump transition team. So a couple, last week, or the week before last, he basically, uh, on March 22nd, he had a press conference telling the public that he got information um, that the Trump transition team was wiretapped, which Trump has been claiming. Um, then he Didn't you went say to the incidental? White House. Well, so then he went to the White House, gave another press conference saying, "Oh, well, they were, you know, the Trump team was caught in this, but it was incidental. So we were monitoring uh, foreign, you know, intelligence. We're monitoring foreign people, and we picked up on the transition team incidentally, and their names weren't blocked out or anything like that." Then he ended up coming out and saying, "Well, it turns out that actually what happened was uh, this information was too." Russian officials were talking to each other and they were talking about the Trump transition team and those names weren't blocked out, which is completely like it's a nothing burger, right? And so then the story came out. A nothing burger? A nothing burger. (laughs) It's just, it's nonsense. So then it came out that um, basically the, the source of this information was two White House staffers themselves. So he got this information from White House staffers, this quote-unquote intelligence, made it out like it validated Trump's claim to being wiretapped, which it absolutely didn't, and then he went to tell the White House about it anyway. Um, so all that's going on. There's been a lot of backlash to that. Basically, people saying that he can no longer be impartial. They have to have an independent agency. Um, look at this. Separately, Michael Flynn, who was the former national security advisor, uh, who was fired for lying to Mike Pence about speaking with the Russian ambassador Kislyak during the transition. Uh, he is now going around offering testimony about the Trump transition in exchange for immunity. Uh, interestingly, he says he didn't break the law. He was quoted during the election uh, as saying about Hillary Clinton officials regarding the email servers that, well, if, you, if you're asking for immunity, you clearly broke the law. But now he apparently is saying he didn't break the law, but he is asking for immunity, but no one is offering it to him. Uh, He's asked both the Senate, the House and the FBI, and no one is willing to exchange immunity for his testimony. So the question is, do they already know what he knows and they don't need to give him immunity or do they think he has nothing? And uh, separately, Marco Rubio also came out this week and said that during the campaign, during the primary, because one of the arguments has been made about uh, the Russia hacking is that. Um, the, the argument that Republicans are making during the, uh, the House and Senate investigations is that, uh, well, if Russia did uh, hack the election or did try to um, uh, influence the election, they were doing it against Hillary Clinton, not for Donald Trump. 
uh, Marco Rubio is saying that he was hacked and there were things that happened to him during the primaries, indicating that um, it says uh, that he was also a victim of a Russian online smear campaign. So it does seem like they were, in fact, specifically trying to help uh, Donald Trump. Well, I don't see how Russia specifically influenced the outcome of the election. I totally bite the bullet on the fact that they could have hacked. I know the Kremlin is a bit of a snaky organ, snaky. Well, those who work in the Kremlin have that potential and they have done it to foreign governments. Not denying that, not cool, do not condone it. However, the election victory itself, to actually help Trump win, you would have to either hack into voting machines or to spread news about any particular candidate. I'm pretty sure that the sentiments that people held about every candidate who was in both camp during that entire election were pretty set in stone. I don't think that any new smear campaign would have altered public opinion uh, to a large extent. So just to be clear, though, what they're arguing, I mean, what the evidence of is that the, the, what Russia did was they leaked the emails, right? They hacked the Podesta emails. They hacked the DNC emails. And it's important to note that the media spent 80% of the time that they covered Hillary Clinton talking about emails. They spent less than 10% of the time when they covered her talking about her actual policies. So that's how you influence it. Nobody's arguing that Russia hacked Man, that liberal media. Machines. Nobody's arguing that Russia hacked voting machines. There's no evidence of that. And anybody who suggests that, yes, is being irresponsible. And look, the way I look at it is, like, did the Russia thing, like, there were a thousand things that happened with the election. And there are multiple reasons why Hillary Clinton lost. And on the one hand, she won the popular vote. And she, you know, is there any one thing, it's, it's impossible to say if there's any one thing that cost her the election, right? I mean, if she had right. campaigned in Michigan, maybe she would have won Michigan and Wisconsin, and she would have won, right? On the other hand, she lost Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by a combined, like, 170,000 votes. That margin is so thin, I think it's impossible to look at anything and say that, well, that clearly didn't have an influence, right? I mean, if those emails had never been leaked, then would she have lost, right? Would that have made a 170,000 vote difference in those three states? Like, I don't know that you can say that it didn't. Probably not. Like, I don't know that you can say that it didn't. And that's all she would have needed to win the presidency. So, I mean, so I can, feel like can I say that it's specifically this? No, but I don't think you say that it's specifically not either. I mean, I would argue that the reason that she lost the presidency is because everyone said, you know, Hillary is going to win the presidency. It's a surefire thing. And as a result, like half the people who could have voted didn't vote. I repeat, half of the people that couldn't have voted. So like Donald Trump was elected by like a quarter of the voting population. And even then, like the majority of those people still voted for Hillary Clinton. But because of fuckery with like shit like the electoral college, we have President Trump. But you know, I think the key here is like I don't want to get into the the partisan bullshit of you know Democrats are trying to ride this thing of Russia, 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 and it's like it's just stop. Like that's that wasn't the whole reason that Hillary Clinton lost. I mean, just for an example, if African American turnout in uh, Milwaukee County 
had been the same as it was in 2012. And they had they voted for Clinton at the rate that they did, right? So all the voters that, did, that didn't show up, they also hmm. voted for Clinton at the same rate that the voters did show up. That she would have won Wisconsin, right? So, like, the idea of, to me, the question of whether or not the Russia thing influenced the election is, is bullshit, and it doesn't really matter. As, as long as they didn't hack the, the voting machines, then I don't really care. What I do care about is, was the Trump team working with the Russian government? Because that's collusion, and that is, like, that's illegal. You cannot do that. What we know now is we know that Paul Manafort, which was Donald Trump's campaign advisor, or his campaign leader, through most of the primary and all the way up through the Republican National Convent, or uh, the Recovering Republican National Convention, was a paid uh, agent of the Ukrainian pro-Russian government, right? We know now, like the New York Times leaked, uh, or they, they got a leak, that he was receiving $10 million from a Russian oligarch. And specifically, in these emails, he was saying his goal was to push pro-Russian propaganda in the West. And he was Donald Trump's campaign advisor, right? Then you have Roger Stone, who was on the Trump transition team, was pushing Trump early. He's, you know, on Twitter saying, oh, John Podesta is about to get rocked or something like that. Uh on Wednesday, and then like a few days later, they released the John Podesta emails that we'd know the Russians hacked. So to me, that's the bigger question here is like whether or not an influence election, I don't think you could prove it. I don't think you can disprove it. So I don't care. The question is, were they, were they colluding with Russia? And I think the House Intelligence Ranking Member, the House Intelligence Committee Ranking Member, Adam Schiff, the, uh, the Democrat, look, he went on to Chuck Todd and he said, we have better than circumstantial evidence that there was this collusion between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. And he's an attorney. So, and for him to say that there's better than circumstantial evidence there was collusion, that's a big problem. Um, I was what going was to his go name ahead again? say Adam Schiff. Another thing that, that is important to talk about is the whole Devin Nunes thing of like, there was an interview that I saw on television, which is like, he works for both the president. And his constituents. Right. And I think John Oliver was like, you can't do both. Right. You can only do one. Well, and I think that's the whole problem, right? Like, they, he thinks that he works for Donald Trump. He's like, no, you don't work for Donald Trump. You work for the people. Donald Trump works for the people. Right? So this idea he's that supposed- he has to be protecting Donald Trump for this, from this investigation. Because he's the one supposed to be in charge of the investigation of Trump's ties to Russia. And he's trying to protect him. Like, you can't have that. There's got to be an investi- a separate investigation. Okay, well, um, I think a lot of this is speculation, so, like, uh, before. Uh, one, 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 one last, uh, whether, whether or not the Trump campaign was tied with the Kremlin throughout the entire campaign, that doesn't all the weight with regards to any policy decisions. If you were to see the effect of some legislation being passed that would be beneficial to the Kremlin, which hasn't been put forth in the Senate or the House at the moment, then it would be easy to say that they were working together so that Trump would pass uh, information 
well, not pass information, pass legislation that Putin would deem acceptable and within Russia's best interests. However, we haven't reached that point yet. We're still in the process of forming a new policy towards the Russian Federation. Well, see, I think this is the problem, right? Like, like this idea that, oh, well, he's not doing anything pro-Russian. Are you kidding me? He ran his whole campaign on being, like, he trashed NATO nonstop. Rex Tillerson had his first meeting with NATO uh, this week, and he basically chastised them all for not paying enough. And you say, okay, maybe that's, that's something, like, that's a fair, right? They're not holding up their bargain of 2% of GDP. For example, Germany isn't. Okay, fair criticism. The other thing is, uh, Rex Tillerson is, later this summer, he's skipping a NATO summit to go spend time in Russia, okay? Now, also keep in mind, Rex Tillerson himself former CEO of ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil had a $500 billion contract with the Russian government for drilling rights for oil that in 2012 was overturned by the State Department putting sanctions on Russia. Okay? So him being Secretary of State itself is a gift to the Kremlin because he's still got, he's still got ExxonMobil stocks. Right, he's got a hundred sixty million dollars in ExxonMobil stock. And Hillary Clinton sold twenty percent of our uranium to Russia as Secretary That's of State. That's bullshit. Twelve different agencies had to sign off on that. Twelve different agencies. Yeah. The idea that it was just Hillary oh. Clinton was bullshit. Okay. She agreed to it. No, the well, State Department yes. agreed to it as part of twelve different. What do you mean the State Department? She leads the State Department. If any, if she's against anything, it won't happen. No, the State Department. If Obama released, is against the anything, State Department it won't happen. did a study and they proved that it was not going to be detrimental, right? Now look, I'm not arguing we should have given the uranium to him or not. To me, it's it's stupid. But at the same point, wait, like, wait, wait, that doesn't disturb. Stupid. Do you think it's, it helped Russia or do you think it harmed it? I mean, it obviously helped them well, out. It's, it's, it's so not, it's not. If you look at the track it's record, it's not weapons for, grade uranium. Who's it's helping for Russia? It's, it's the not Democrats. Weapons, it's not weapons. Oh, fuck off. It's not weapons grade uranium, okay? It was for energy. Like, what's really helping Russia is the destabilization of it's, it's what Trump's basically foreign policy is, which is to support the program. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. You said Trump's foreign policy. Let's just well, have to laugh at that. But no, okay. but his foreign policy is basically <laughs> like NATO is weak and not doing enough. And oh, we're going to roll back sanctions for invading Crimea. We're going to look the other way when Russia is bombing the hell out of, uh, you know, anti-Assad regime separatists in Syria. Like, those things are far more beneficial to Russia than selling, you know, uh, energy-grade uranium. I mean... I don't think I'm not too familiar with like refinement of uranium, but uranium is fucking uranium. I'm pretty sure there's ways of like turning uranium, all kinds of uranium. Dude, into if you weapons. don't know what the fuck you're talking about, don't fucking talk about it. Russia already has a I bigger nuclear stockpile than this anyway. I mean, like, what do you mean by like civilian grade uranium or like energy, energy grade uranium? Grade yeah, it's, what, it's what not the hell highly, does that it's even not mean? As highly like, if you throw energy grade uranium and you put it in like a box 
and you set it off so like a vapor's like sprayed around a city, it's still going to kill a fuck ton of people and it's going to cause a lot of problems. So no. saying that it can't be used as a weapon whatsoever isn't really true. No. I mean, what if Russia just wanted cheap the, grade same, uranium this, to no, dump on same, like Syrian rebels? Like you this, don't know this shit. What the and, fuck? This is the same, grade this uranium. Is the same bullshit argument. A million the, grade uranium to dump on rebels because it's cheaper. No, this is the okay, same. Okay, I was going to say. This is the same argument about the Iran nuclear deal. People are like, oh, well, they're still allowed to have uranium. Yeah, their centrifuges are not, like, they cannot refine the uranium. Well, why the, the fuck do you trust Iran and Russia? I don't trust Iran and Russia. I think the problem then why, is Why do you that, think it's a good idea? Why do you think it's okay if the State Department does a study and they're like, they're not going to abuse this? We don't fucking because, know. It's, because when it it's in their hands, Russia put already has a bigger nuclear... Into an authoritarian state's hands, we're fucking ourselves over, I'd say. Russia already has a larger nuclear arsenal than we do. They have more nuclear weapons than we do. Like, Great. The, Let's the give them more uranium. more uranium. Who gives a shit? It's it's insignificant. It's insignificant. What Russia really needs is they need allies as they march through the former Soviet bloc, and more importantly, they want to prop up the Assad regime and the Iranian regime because they're both pro-Russia, and it gives uh, it gives Russia access to the Gulf so that they can get around the sanctions that the United States has put on them. Like that's the whole everything in Syria is a proxy war between the United States and Russia. Like, we talk about this, oh, it's ISIS, ISIS, ISIS. We were, it, we were talking about ousting Assad before ISIS even existed. Like, the whole thing in Syria is a proxy war about getting Russia access to the Gulf. And Trump's okay. He's like, why are we working together with Russia and, and Assad? To, to, like, that's the problem. He's undermining the sanctions. That's what they want. The uranium is insignificant to them. I mean, they still bought it, so <laughs> it obviously isn't insignificant, and you really don't know their motives. Just because the State Department says it's benign doesn't mean that it's fucking benign. I mean, the government lies all the time about shit. Um, but, yeah, I think we covered the topic. Anyway, moving on to the next... I feel like we've just talked about Trump and Russia enough. What, what, what's our next thing? Uh, so, Neil Gorsuch... Uh, is up for uh, the taking the Supreme Court seat uh, left by the death of Antonin Scalia. Um, he passed the Judiciary Committee today. Uh, he's on path for a vote on Friday. Uh, the Democrats have said that today they reached the 41st vote that they need to filibuster the appointment. Uh, but Mitch McConnell has said that he's going to be confirmed one way or another, which indicates that he's going to enact the nuclear option and remove the filibuster for Supreme Court appointments. So. I mean, could the Democrats just pull the Republicans and just you know even see him? I'm sorry, could you say that again? Couldn't the Democrats just pull the Republicans and just refuse to see him outright? Well, no, because Democrats don't have a majority. They, so the reason Republicans were able to not hold any hearings on Garland is because they had a majority in the Senate. So the Judiciary Committee and the Senate leader just decided not to hold hearings. But right now, the Judiciary Committee and the Senate are controlled by the Republicans. So obviously, they had the hearings. I mean, I guess then just filibuster the shit out of it. Yeah. 
I guess that's what the problem. Well, that's what you're talking about the nuclear option, right? Because they will filibuster, but with the nuclear option, they still have the majority. You don't need the 60 vote tre- threshold anymore. You just need 51. Right. I mean, like, even then, do you have enough? According to news articles I've been reading, like, they need a certain amount of Democrats to jump ship in order for this to work. Well, they would need. Wait, eight. I thought they could. They would need sorry, eight, but like they would need eight. So as long as forty-one Democrats say they're not going to vote for end of cloture on uh, on the Gorsuch vote, um, then that's that's a ten amount to a filibuster. And today, the forty-first, it was um, Senator Coons from uh, Connecticut said that he's not going to vote for uh, for clo- he's not going to vote yes on a cloture vote, which means that essentially they're filibustering it. So that that's already done. It's going to be filibustered. That thing that Rand Paul did. <laughs> well, he did a filibuster. I was gonna say that was a very vague statement. Yeah, I mean. Well, yeah, but I I know like Rand Paul like did the super long filibuster, like twenty four hours and like done like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a filibuster. Like, there's two ways to do a filibuster. What the filibuster basically is, so what there is, is there's a thing called a cloture vote, which is basically where the Senate says, uh, it's a vote to say that we're going to stop debate and we're going to stop discussion on, uh, on a particular bill or an appointment or something like that. And essentially what they do is they call for a cloture vote. As long as you get 60 votes, then it moves on to they can take the real vote. If you don't get 60 votes, then theoret- then they have no way of ever stopping debate on the topic, which is essentially the same as the filibuster. So somebody could just talk forever. So usually what they do, instead of actually doing the filibuster and letting the guy talk for, you know, 24 hours, like what Rand Paul was doing is he talked for 24 hours, and what they were trying to do in the background was gather up the votes for a cloture vote. And then they never got it, so they held a cloture vote, they got- didn't get the 60, and so they just ended it, and they said, all right, we're scrapping the bill, and therefore you stop talking. But usually what they do is you just bypass the 24 because they know ahead of time. So right before the bill or the nominee or whatever goes up for the vote, they just hold the cloture vote, and if it gets to 60, then they take the real vote, and if it doesn't, then it's scrapped, and they just move on. Got it. All right. Um, I don't think it'll really change anything. They'll get him in eventually. So, all right, is our focus Eight on? Years. Are we going to? Is, is that focus on this debate or this part? Uh, the nuclear option, or is that the next article? No, I think the discussion is the nuclear option. Right? They're essentially we're getting rid of the filibuster for the Supreme Court pick. The reason the Democrats say they're filibustering it is two reasons. One is because of the Merrick Garland issue, the fact that he couldn't even get a vote. Um, that seat was left open for, uh, I think it was almost 300 days, which is over twice as long as the next largest point um, in the 20th century. There were some seats that were left open for a long time in, back in the 19th century. But in the 20th century... Uh, Merrick Garland has by far, you know, 290 something days that he went without a vote. And the next longest was like a hundred days. And 
you know, so Democrats are saying, first of all, the way you treated Merrick Garland, um, we don't, you stole the seat, so we're not going to give it to you easily. And two, which is basically what they're saying is, um, you know, Gorsuch is, uh, he's a pro-corporatist, right? I mean, there was the, one of the cases that gets brought up a lot was he was the only judge out of, I think, about a dozen judges that, you know, ruled on a case where there was a truck driver and his truck got stuck in the, the snow, like freezing coat, like his brakes went out on the trailer. He radioed into the headquarters and they said, stay in your truck, we'll send a repair guy. The repair guy didn't show up. It was an hour later. His truck wasn't, the heat didn't work in it. His hands, like his hands and his feet were blue because it was negative 14 degrees in the cab. So he left, he called in again and they said, no, don't leave the trailer. There's merchandise in there. And he said, well, I'm freezing to death. So he left the trailer. He went to the gas station to, to warm up and then went back for the stuff later. And the company ended up firing him. And he sued the company and said, hey, you can't fire me, you know, for making this decision to save my life. And every judge sided with them, sided with him, said, no, this was unlawful termination, except for Gorsuch, who said, no, he should have frozen to death instead of leaving the merchandise behind. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, think he have frozen to death. Well, Brett, <laughs> I invite you to go and freeze to death. It was it was poor, poor life choices that led him to that moment. So he should deal with them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, boy. I guess my, my biggest thing with this issue is what does it mean for the rest, the next Supreme Court nominees? Does that mean that just having 51 votes, if you do go with the nuclear option, that means you don't have to, you know, uh, coll- I guess collab or just talk to the other side. You could just put whoever you want, right? As long as you have a majority, you could put any kind of extremist extremist judge in and they're going to pass. Isn't that what the point of the filibuster is? So we have to work together and it's not just whoever we want to put on? Yes. But Republicans are now scrapping that so that they can pass the 51 votes. Now, the argument they make is the Democrats scrapped the filibuster for executive appointments and regular federal judge. So not for the Supreme Court and not for legislation, but there were, I think there were over 300 or something seats. I'd, I'd have to check the number to be sure. There were a lot of federal judgeships that Republicans were filibustering. And uh, in addition to executive appointments under Obama back in 2012 and 2013, that Republicans kept filibustering. And so there were positions left open. So Harry Reid ended the filibuster for executive appointments and federal judges but left it there for the Supreme Court. Now the Republicans are saying, well, the president's already there to get rid of the filibuster, so we're going to get rid of it on the Supreme Court. So, And yes, there are some, there are some Democrats. There are three Democrats that said they're going to vote for Gorsuch. Uh, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Joe Manchin of uh, West Virginia, and Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota. <laughs> their, their, argument is, their argument is basically like, Oh, well, we can't give up the right to the filibuster for Supreme Court justices. But I'm sitting here like, like, what's the point of the filibuster if you never use it? Right? Like, this is a point to use it. And if you, you're saying like, oh, I want to protect the filibuster. 
Like, what are you protecting it for if you're never going to use it? Like, it's it's not it's useless if it just sits there. I mean, I'd like to bring up the example of video games, which is like you know, in like video games, you pick up all these like potions and shit. You're like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. And then it's like the fucking end of the game, and you're on the last boss, and you haven't used any of them. Yes. Me, IRL. That's literally me in, like, every RPG. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... I just think it's... I I, I don't see the point in maintaining the filibuster if you're never going to use it. And I think the idea that, like... Like, Republicans were going to get rid of the filibuster regardless. Like, as soon as they decided, and I think there's a huge level of hypocrisy there where, you know, Mitch McConnell's going out and saying, like, oh, we, you know, this needs to be a bipartisan process and we have to get, you know, um, we have to, you know, it's uh, Donald Trump's right to put this justice on the court. I'm like, well, motherfucker, it was Obama's right to put a justice on the court and you just didn't even give him the time of day. So, oh, and he put up. They were going to wait until. American up, people could decide with the election. That's bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> Antonin Scalia died in December of 2015. There was over a year. You know when the Americans decided? They decided in 2012 and they re-elected Obama for a four-year term. That's when they decided. Yeah, pretty sketchy death, too. Oh, fuck off. Very Seriously? No, you are not. If if you are implied that like he Andrew Scalia was like killed or something, Waco, Texas. Wait, no, it wasn't Waco, Texas. It was um. Which take one? T- t- take off the tinfoil hat, Brett. The pillow t- t- take... over your face. Well, well, to quote your earlier he comments, he was a fat ass and made bad life decisions. So why do you think it was a? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't give him an autopsy, and they cremated him despite being a cat. Jesus Christ. A good, a good Italian Catholic, Scalia. He got cremated with no autopsy. They don't perform autopsies regularly if the court. They do not perform autopsies all the if time. If there's a homeless person that dies, they perform an autopsy. No, they do not perform an autopsy unless there's suspicion of foul play. There Believe was. Me, I know. Believe me, I know. Both my parents died within the last two years. Perform, Neither of them had an why autopsy. Would they Form an autopsy on a Supreme Court justice. Because he was a well, fat motherfucker that was almost figured... 70 years old and he died of a heart attack. <laughs> oh, that's... Well, they figured that, you know, there was this guy named Brett Yahtzee, you know. How can we piss him off? I know. Let's not do any autopsy and then just cremate the body. That'll really piss him off. I would be very curious to talk to one of his family members. Just to get the get to the bottom of it, you know, you know, you know, man. I can tell you guys are down with this. <laughs> okay. I, I, so, I, I, yeah, we haven't gone through the main topic yet. Yeah, so um, we just have okay. one last, we have one last story, which is about immigration. Sorry, go fuck. That's going to take us the longest. Like, we're just going to spend, like, the next two hours. Like, we're going to finish talking about this. And then, like, I'm not going to All right. Let's we just talk about immigration as a. Oh, okay. Let's skip it and we'll talk about it next week then. All right. So, let's just run down a list of uh, other things that happened. Um, First was North Carolina voted for a repeal of their HB2 law which was the 
uh, anti-transgender law uh, that basically required um, trans people, basically required people to use the restroom that uh, matched their birth certificate. Uh, they repealed that part of it. So government will no longer force you to use the restroom that uh, matches your birth certificate. However, what they did not repeal is one, the part of the law that um, basically they have barred any municipality or county or anything like that from passing, from adding gender identity or uh, sexual orientation to civil rights ordinances uh, until 2020. Uh, so basically, they still, even though in government buildings, they're not discriminating against trans people anymore, they're still saying it's legal for public accommodations to, to discriminate against trans people. Um, further, they didn't repeal any of the other parts of the law, which almost nobody talks about, which was HP2. Most of the bill actually dealt with other things. For example, it limited the minimum wage that cities could set um, so that they couldn't set the minimum wage higher than the state level. And it also restricted workers' rights to sue for wrongful employment. Uh, those parts of the law also stay on the book. Why, why is bathroom legislation a thing in this country? And there's a very, very simple solution. If you look like a guy, you use the guy's room. You look like oh, a woman. Bill. And if, and if you want, and if your guy in a dress, just wait till you get home. Problem solved. Uh, I, I, I feel like, I, no, I, <laughs> no, like, sure. Like if you like, how about, and this is just an idea here. You, if you have to go to the bathroom, fucking go to the bathroom and don't look at other people's genitals. You know, like if you have like this manly ass looking man who doesn't happen to have a dick or what have you, it doesn't matter. Like. The, like, there's been, like, a grand total of, like, one case in which, you know, a trans person has used bathrooms to assault people. Like, there's been more cases of Republicans assaulting people in bathrooms than trans people assaulting people in bathrooms. I don't even know about the one case that you're talking about. But... Uh, apparently, there was one bullshit case where a trans person assaulted someone, and then the person in that case said... I don't want to be used as a Republican talking tool because this is kind of bullshit. It's not. It's not even about assault. You're talking about where people can go pee, and whereas you could put your you can, whereas you could yes. put much more you can put more you can put your efforts uh, into the economy, the environment, whatever. Just have people go either. According to what they were assigned at birth, with regards to their sex, because again, nobody really cares. It's a bathroom, and it's not—it's not, not going to be some sort of moral detriment to you if you're forced to use a bathroom that you're, that corresponds with your sex as opposed to your identity. I mean, is it that big of a deal then if they like? I mean, I don't know. Like, how would you feel if every single day you had to go to the women's restroom, like? You know, I don't. I don't know. I. That'd be nice I, if you see some... women's restrooms. They're very clean. Ooh. <laughs> God damn it, Paul! You're not fucking healthy. No, they're pretty fucking messy. They're, no, no. I mean, it depends on where you go, but they're, on average, they're nicer than men's restrooms. Uh, uh, again, you're not helping. You get my point. Like, the point is, like, 
when people go to the bathroom, let them go to the bathroom, let them go to whatever goddamn bathroom they want. All they do in that bathroom is either pee or take a shit. Like, that's it. Or maybe that's if the they're, like, really adventurous, like, well, maybe they're, like, really adventurous or something like that, to, like, <laughs> shag someone or something. But, like, generally speaking, what's it called? Um, why does this matter? Like, if someone says, I identify as male, then let them go use the men's room. Someone says, I identify as female, let them use the women's room. Yeah, There I, shouldn't I, be a problem here. So I, I think you're vastly underestimating there are a lot of people that do care. They care mostly because they were told to care. They didn't care before these laws were passed. This was demagoguery, right? I mean, like, this idea, like, trans people were using whatever bathroom they wanted for the last... A hundred years or whatever, ever since we've had public restrooms, right? This only became a problem now because mainly Republicans, only Republicans, decided to make this a problem. Why? Because they scared. So you mean like in the 1950s, like an obvious like trans person, let's just think from a 1950s mindset, they wouldn't like get beaten the hell up for like using the restroom? Yeah, but I mean like. That happens today. I don't understand what you're pointing. So the so the idea is just to take away their right to use the restroom. I mean, no, you said all, you said it wasn't a even... problem before, but I mean, kind of yeah. obviously, it wasn't a problem from a trans person perspective. It was a problem from the assholes that were beating them up, right? I mean, like the trans community has a over sixty percent rate of sexual assault, like committed against them, right? Not that they commit I mean, oh. sexual assault. They get sexual assault. But the other part of this was, also, how do you even enforce this? Do you put a cop outside of every bathroom and require a birth birth certificate to let people in? No. And the law didn't even specify any repercussions. So it just said, like, oh, trans people can't use the restroom. But what happens if a trans person goes into a... What happens if a trans man goes into uh, a man a men's restroom? Like, there was no fine. There was no prison time associated with it. So, like, it, it was just pure demagoguery. This was just, like... It was just to get people riled up and upset about something. I mean, like, the argument... Yeah, that, I agree to like, your point. I mean, like, the argument that... What's it called? Trans people should just go to the restrooms that they were assigned with on birth, and that doesn't really matter. They can hold it. Like, I feel very similar to the whole blacks-only restrooms and white-only restrooms. Why? <laughs> Yeah. Because you can easily make the same arguments of, oh, well, just use the black-only restrooms. Like, that's not based on race. I mean, it's based on gender identity and what you assume to have I someone's mean, usually, gender identity. Usually, like, bathrooms are of pretty comparable quality. Oh, wait, no, that's separate but equal. All right. <laughs> okay, so the next story is uh, Rex Tillerson... Secretary of State, uh, is lifting human rights conditions on arms sales to Bahrain. So uh, Bahrain is a Middle Eastern ally, uh, a obviously dictatorial government, um, Islamist extremists, uh, or fundamentalists, I would say. Um, but the State Department had previously put um, conditions on selling F-16s to them on they, the condition that they improve their human rights violations, mainly executing people, uh, quelling free speech and protests, things like that. 
Um, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has decided that uh, that doesn't need that's not important anymore. So we're selling two point eight billion dollars worth of F sixteen, which is nineteen F sixteens. Well, does does this kind? I don't know very much about this place you're referring to. Are they a formidable ally of ours in the Middle East? Uh, um, uh, you know, I don't know that it's really that big of a deal. Because I, this is, this is sorry, I'm sorry. This is one of those cases where I question on at times. Uh, who our allies are because we fund so we give money well in this, well, in this case f-16 uh, warplanes uh, our allies uh, if they have something to give us we can completely ignore anything that happens in those countries domestically as long the same thing with saudi arabia our ally quote unquote as long as they have oil to offer us we will we will funnel money into their government, though they still have public beheadings, and with what you just described, I don't agree with Tillerson's decision. It's very uh, hypocritical on behalf of the U.S. Yeah, I mean, I think it's perfectly in line with what we do with Saudi Arabia, for example. Although we've also restricted sell sales to Saudi Arabia in some cases, so it's like this will also be reversed. Okay. Um. So the Planned Parenthood video creators, so everybody, well, if you don't remember, the Planned Parenthood video was basically a series of videos, really. Um, released, when was that? It was 2015. Basically by um, an anti-abortion group. Um, they set up sting operations where they um, tried to catch Planned Parenthood officials in the act of admitting to selling fetuses, aborted fetuses for, pro or for profit. Um, the videos were doctored to indicate that. Republicans seized on that. The state where I lived, they defunded Planned Parenthood. The videos didn't actually prove anything. Um, they were deceptively edited. And now the creators of the videos have been um, charged, uh, I think, in California. Yeah. California. Um, California prosecutors fired fel filed felony charges on Tuesday against two anti-abortion activists who secretly recorded videos in an attempt to discredit abortion providers, saying that some of the recordings violated the state's privacy law. Also important, these same people were also charged uh, in Texas for the same uh, rules, for violating the same similar laws. They're being charged with 14 counts of illegal recording and one count of conspiracy. Why they continue these attempts, I don't understand. I mean, I'm personally very pro-abortion, pro pro-abortion meaning it should be done in every given circumstance. However, yeah, I'm very, very pro-choice. I don't see what they were trying to accomplish through, these, through this sting operation. And I think it just hurt their cause even more because once... It was revealed that those that the videos were false and you would share them at I'm sure that many voters who were previously staunchly anti-abortion would see that maybe Planned Parenthood wasn't this uh, 
evil, corrupt organization that sells fetuses for profit. Just that just isn't true. They provide basic health services to women and abortions that are needed was, in many circumstances. I think you're vastly it wasn't Planned Parenthood. Yeah, it wasn't Planned Parenthood. Yeah, <laughs> Planned Parenthood was defunded in several states, including Indiana, state where I live. Uh, also, defunding Planned Parenthood was part of the American Health Care Act, uh, which didn't pass. But if it had passed, it would have defunded Planned Parenthood completely. Yeah, well, that's... Videos, whether they're fake or... I mean, yeah, they're shown to be highly edited. I feel like they were successful because I feel like it was a catalyst, right, to everyone talking about it. Yep. And I bet, well, then, polled, I bet if you polled most Republicans, they would still think that... I mean, so for example, if you polled Republicans, 75% of them, I mean, this is a poll that just came out, I think it was 74% of Republicans uh, believe that Donald Trump was wiretapped by Obama, right? Like, it's not true. The FBI, the NSA have come out and said it's not true. I think if you polled Republicans, they would believe that Planned Parenthood still sells fetuses illegally. I think it accomplished exactly what it accomplished. I mean, like I said, in my state of Indiana, they defunded Planned Parenthood, A, None of the Planned Parenthood f facilities in Indiana even participated in the program that they were talking about here, which is not that they sell aborted fetuses, but they can uh, donate uh, fetuses to medical research. Ben Carson, for example, did some of his research on, uh, on fetuses uh, that he got from, from abortions. And, well, that's, that's, that's... So the, Go ahead. the point was, so in Indiana, the, the State Department did an investigation into it, found that they weren't doing anything illegal. They weren't even participating in the program, and they got defunded anyway. So they achieved their goal, because the goal isn't to stop abortion, really. They, well, it is, but the goal also is to hurt Planned Parenthood, because Planned Parenthood is a liberal activism group. So... But that's at, the, that's at the federal... Well, not at the federal level, but at the level where funding is cut off that's not necessarily ordinary people who have a complete control over the funds that Planned Parenthood gets. Uh, I think that while the campaign against Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood was successful with regards to having it defunded, the cause itself uh, or the legitimacy, even if the end result was successful in defunding the group and also the sentiment among most Republicans about what Planned Parenthood is, the legitimacy and reasoning behind uh, this uh, adversity towards the group was greatly hurt, regardless of uh, whether or not or what kind of action was taken. Wait, Philip, do you uh, support the government funding Planned Parenthood? Well, I, ge I generally do because... I think of it. I think of it from this perspective: uh, if women, first off, uh, if they need an abortion and cases of rape or incest, uh, or even in the case of bad decisions, uh, as happens with most teenagers, they should get the. Uh, they should be able to have the abortions because uh, if the government funds the abortions, they don't have the kids. That means the uh, taxpayer money isn't being used to uh, raise those kids and provide them with provide the teenage parents with subsidized housing. So from an economic standpoint and from the standpoint of uh, people not fucking others over, I think it's a good organization that should get some funding from the government. 
Just to be clear, Planned Parenthood... Yeah, but the funding doesn't go to abortions. Right. Like, I think that's a problem. The only, the only federal funding that goes to abortions right now is in the case of rape, incest, or, or mother's endangerment. And those are actually very narrow. There's a lot of restrictions on that. So most of Planned Parenthood's abortion services aren't funded by tax dollars at all. So, so it's uh, just women's health services that are covered. Yes. The argument that, that, that they has always been made is that, well, the money is fungible. So you're providing money to Planned Parenthood and that keeps the lights on so they can perform abortions, right? Because abortions only make up 3% of Planned Parenthood services, but they make up, uh, about, I think, almost 50% of their revenue. So now, well, obviously, none well, of that's coming from the government, but... Well, even, even so, if it's for women's health and if they partake in education meant to allow young people to make good decisions in lives, I think it's a necessity. Okay. So the next story, uh, Chechen authorities arresting and killing gay men. Uh, this is according to a Russian newspaper. Um, Chechnya is a, a Muslim-majority state, I guess, is the best way to call it, it's region of Russia. Um but Russia, the Russian Federation, obviously has a pretty poor record on gay rights overall. And Vladimir Putin, his regime, is taking advantage of that in Chechnya, and is basically, um, is basically saying that yeah, um, go ahead and you can detain and kill gay men, basically. Uh, and I think the thing that's interesting about this is they're really not even denying it. Uh, a spokesman for Chechnya's leader, uh, Ramzan Kadyrov. Denied the report, uh, calling the article absolute lies and disinformation. And he says, but the reason he gave was, you cannot arrest or repress people who just don't exist in the Republic. If such people existed in Chechnya, law enforcement would not have to worry about them, as their own relatives would have sent them somewhere to they, where they could never return. So. Um, I would like to point out that Remzin Kadyrov isn't just a member of the Chechen government. He's the head of the Chechen Republic. Yes. Yeah, as I said, right? Chechnya's leader. No, uh, I don't know. He said that, but what I what I heard was like a member of the Chechnyan government, like just like some random schmo or something like that. Oh, no, and I just wanted to clarify that this is the leader. Yeah. And you should totally go tweet at him that you do not you have not seen his cat. He really yes. Uh, that guy. <laughs> yes, that guy. That's a John Oliver joke. Is this your cat? So, no commentary on that? I mean, I probably didn't choose that article very well, because I feel like, I, at least I hope, none of you are okay with gay people getting round up and shot. Well, no, yeah, that, that's pretty, it's pretty bad. <laughs> so this isn't really a controversial topic, other than, what the fuck, Chechnya? <laughs> what are you doing? Only when it's. I mean, it's pretty common in the Middle East. Yeah, exactly. Right on cue. They're just. uh... Chechnya isn't in the Middle East. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Only only Muslims hate gay people. We definitely don't hate them in the United States. They totally. Well, 
Unless we forget gay, gay men aren't thrown off of buildings and shot in the streets in the United States. Well, and the let's not forget that gay men the aren't thrown off of buildings and shot in most countries in the world. Right? Yeah, but ISIS throws people off of buildings. Because they're fucking yeah, ISIS. But, but where does it ran, they hang them from cranes. Yeah, where is homosexuality legalized in Muslim okay. countries predominantly? According to my research, Chechnya is right above Georgia, and it's also near Azerbaijan and Armenia. Yeah, you know where else where gay marriage, where homosexuality is illegal, mostly? And that's in Russia. Gay marriage is certainly illegal. You know yeah, where but gay marriage was that. illegal until 2015? The United States. Illegal, but not punishable by death. Sure, it's not punishable by death in very many places. There are a few Christian countries, there are more Muslim countries, not denying that. There are also other. Muslim I mean, I'd like to argue that that's not exactly a great defense. Like, oh, gay marriage no, no. isn't legal, but at least we're not putting them to death. Yeah. Well, like, sure. you know, well, yeah, yes, it is actually, it's, it's, that, that's a pretty shitty defense because the obvious response to that is, well, yes, there are countries that are not putting gay people to death, but there's also countries that are treating gay people way better than we are. Okay. But like, if, for every if argument, you, if you had uh, one there's person someone who doing killing worse. gay people and another who's just yelling at them, you would obviously treat them differently. Well, yes, but you forget, and there's one person. So, saying, like, well, that guy over there is yelling at gay guys. Then there's another person who is giving the gay people a hug and a fucking sandwich. You know? No, I yeah, don't. isn't there? Wouldn't you argue there's a level of acceptability? Are you in that situation? There's someone yelling at a gay person versus someone hurting a gay person. Aren't they both shitty people? Yeah, I but mean, one is more shitty than the other. Being made is just because that person is shittier doesn't mean that it's acceptable. Yeah, but like, wouldn't you say that one is less acceptable than the other? Yeah. Actually, that I, I would agree with you on that. One is less acceptable than the other, but that doesn't mean that doesn't make one acceptable. That doesn't make both of them accept. That does, just because the other thing is less acceptable doesn't suddenly make it acceptable. Like just because it's it, it's okay to kill gay people for being gay in other countries doesn't make it acceptable to not treat gay people properly. Yeah, but you're being a little bit facetious when Paul says. Like, when we bring up, you know, Iran fucking hanging people from cranes just because they're gay, and then you say, well, they're not the only country that hates gay people. Well, that's kind of like putting a false equivalency on things. I, okay. And I think that it's really important. I like, never said that. The only person that's been, I feel like, doing false equivalencies here is the is some of the arguments that you've been making. Oh! Like, Paul has literally said, has literally called you out and said, Brett, these, these arguments you're making are false equivalencies. What are you talking about? And why are you changing the subject? Uh, I'm not trying to change the subject, but I'm saying, like, I never said that it was okay for Iran to hang people from cranes because they were gay. Yeah. Never said that. I don't think it's okay at all, and I don't think it's acceptable at all, but I don't think that just because they do that doesn't make 
certain countries like Russia or um, the United States' treatment of gay people any more acceptable. And that's fine, but don't you think you should put, like, a different level of, like, urgency and, like, weight on something if someone's, like, hating gay people rather than, like, preventing them from being married? Don't you think that you should, like, put a different amount of scorn on that, like... No, that no, group. Let's be clear. The story that we were just instead of trying was, to like focus no, no, no. incessantly on we like the lighter punishment. Was, the story that we were just reading was the Russian Federation is executed up to a hundred gay men. So that's not a false equivalence. That's equivalence. They're doing the same thing. Okay. First off, like I don't really agree with when they say like the Russian Federation is doing this, like. Local police forces have a lot of freedom, especially in a fucking place like Chechnya. They probably have like, um, I don't know, I'm not speaking from authority here, but they probably have some like um, subdivisional government. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen, all kinds of corruption and all kinds of people taking the law into their own hands. So so you don't think think that the local Russian officials are representative of the entire Russian government. Yeah. If a, a cop shoots Trayvon Martin, he doesn't represent Barack Obama. So why... Like, so, so, okay. So you don't think that local Russian Chechen officials are representative of all of the Russian Federation. So why do you think that ISIS is representative of all of Muslims? Because... Uh, they were. <laughs> yeah, Brett never said that. No, but you're making arguments like, oh, this is a big problem in the Muslim world. It's a big problem in certain Muslim countries. Yeah. But, like, being homosexual is perfectly legal in a majority of Muslim countries. Where? Okay, like, uh, Egypt, (laughs) right? Like, uh, Bangladesh, like, Indonesia. Like, it's not, I mean... Indonesia? They're all all legal there. Yeah. I can't uh, think of one Muslim country. I'm not so sure about Syria. that. Legal. Syria itself. It's it's not being mean, but like at a certain point, you have to recognize that like different groups of people, like different sets of problems, because of their backgrounds, yeah, and ultimately, problems. like people from uh, a Muslim background, usually have a problem with gay people that is. people from Western backgrounds don't. Indonesia, and among the most accepting it's countries of homosexuality. Hmm? Indonesia, among world's least accepting countries of homosexuality. Right, but they don't execute people. Like, yeah, like gay marriage isn't legal, but they're not executing people. They're not throwing people off the roofs. Yeah, and if you walk on a street in Indonesia and you, like, make out with a dude, you're probably going to get beaten up and stoned. You'll so, get that if you walk down the street and make out with a dude in Alabama. Stoned? You'll get beat up. Yeah. Not in the majority of the country, though. Yeah, and, exactly. Okay, I mean, you're arguing semantics. Why, why are you the force for the trees? Fundamentalism is America, a problem. Bro. It's not a particular religion. It's fundamentalism. <laughs> not, is a problem. We're not. We don't represent Alabama here. We're not Alabamans. Those guys are crazy. Okay. Uh. Marco, do you have any two cents you'd like to add in? And uh, no, you guys pretty much got it. <laughs> Just along for a ride on this one. I was gonna say, like, shit, is Marco even still here? No, I am. You guys, uh, you guys are, you're good. 
So well, last... it was funny because when you said like there was really no comment, I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty. There's nothing to debate, and then we said the Middle East part, and then took off. So, <laughs> so the last story before the the big story um, has to do with North Korea. So basically, Trump. Um, Trump was doing an interview with the Financial Times on Sunday, and he said, quote, China has great influence over North Korea, and China will either decide to help us with North Korea or they won't. If they do, that will be very good for China. And if they don't, it won't be good for anyone. Uh, end quote. Uh, and he says later on, quote, well, if China is not going to solve North Korea, we will. That is all I'm telling you. End quote. So basically, he's dodging... Yeah, he's basically saying like, uh, I don't know, we're gonna go to war with North Korea. We're gonna do something to North Korea. We already put sanctions on them. I don't know what else we're gonna do. I mean, I wouldn't mind a second Korean war. That would mean we can get a mash reboot. I wouldn't mind North Korea just capitulating due to like, who who do you think would play Hawkeye Pierce this time? Maybe like Chris Pratt. Maybe, like, yes. Who, who do you think would make a really good Hawkeye Pierce? Or not even Hawkeye Pierce. Like, maybe like Hawkeye Pierce's son. I don't really have an opinion on that, other than North Korea <laughs> will definitely nuke Seoul if uh, there's a war, and that should be something to be concerned about. Come on, I'm not sure what. Would be fantastic. I'm not sure if at this point we go with new sanctions or we do try to lobby China into helping us in this struggle because I don't see what China gets out of North Korea anymore nowadays. They North Korea owes China a fuck ton of money from way back in the late fifties when it was a when China was a huge patron to North Korea. Now with some of the rockets that uh, Pyongyang launches uh, end up flying over that region where you have the three borders uh, between North Korea, Russia, and China. And there is a, not like there's very, there are very many resources that could be extracted and brought into uh, China. So if I were President Xi, I would work with the United States. I know that I don't, I'm not him, but for the sake of maintaining peace and weakening the regime further, that might be a reasonable solution. So what if you were two, the god reasons? There's two reasons. One is refugees. China worries that if the North Korean government collapses, uh, North Korean refugees will pour into China. Uh, they also worry that if North Korea collapses, and presumably it comes under the rule of South Korea, or you know, then just becomes Korea, I guess is what would happen. Uh, basically, the United States, the United States would have more leverage there than China, and then that puts the United States in basically leverage on the Chinese border. I suppose that makes sense. Uh, I'm not sure how much the refugees would. What's North Korea? Okay, let's look up what North Korea's population is. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think. I mean. This is America. We're, we don't even want to take 50,000 Syrian refugees. So Ooh, I mean, like the like, population being I, I, tiny is like not really a good argument. Don't get into that right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you could always make the argument of 
the North Vietnam, South Vietnam thing. When, like, the North Vietnamese came into South Korea, sorry, not South Korea, South Vietnam took it over, and Vietnam became one. There wasn't really a refugee crisis, as far as I'm aware. There could be. I don't, as far as I'm aware, there wasn't one. So, so just to be clear, there were 22.85 million Syrians, and we see what that refugee crisis is doing to Europe and the United States. There are 24.9 million North Koreans. So, uh, okay, but yeah, no, no refugees crossing into China. However, a unified. Is there any scenario in which a unified Korea? Unified Korea would work well with China because if that regime collapsed in North Korea, sorry, not North Korea, if Korea was strong enough and its new government made a became, if it devoted itself to working mutually with Beijing as well as Washington, a lot of the problems would be eliminated that are existing today. Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting because, you know, so what happened in South Korea recently was the president, uh, President Park, um, yes, ousted yes. for corruption. Um, but it's likely her, the, the opposition party will, will take power and new elections. I think, I guess they're going to have new elections. And um, they're much more, the opposition party is much more. Uh, amenable to working with China than Park's government was. Park's government was um, more closely allied to the United States and uh, against China. So, yeah, if if the opposition party gets to more power in South Korea, yeah, there's certainly an opportunity there to work with China. Okay. All right. So it takes us to the big story, which is the deconstruction of the administrative state. Now, what this is referring to was really, uh, in particular, comments made by uh, Steve Bannon, which is uh, chief White House strategist. I'm thrilled that everybody to, could be here uh, with. To uh, Donald Trump. And he said during CPAC earlier this year, um, this is basically where it comes from. So he said, quote, if you look at these cabinet appointees, they were selected for a reason, and that is the deconstruction. The way the progressive left runs is if they can't get it passed, they're just going to put it some sort of regulation in an agency. That's all going to be deconstructed, and I think that's why this regulatory thing is so important. Um, so ever since the Trump administration came in, they have been so-called chipping away at the administrative state. Now, one of the ways they've done that is they put people in power in certain agencies that, on the face, seem to be hostile to the goal of the agency. For example, Scott Pruitt at the EPA. Um, he had sued the EPA 15 times over their um, regulations relating to carbon. Uh, Betsy DeVos in the education department, she never used public education. Our kids never use public education. She wants to privatize education, um, turn it to the state level, things like that. Now, the administration has also taken to repealing um, several regulations that were put in place at the end of the Obama administration using the Congressional Review Act, which interestingly had only been used once in the last 20 years, back in 2001, 
And so far, it's already been used a half dozen times under the Trump administration. The first was a repeal of the stream buffer rule, which was basically a rule that um, related to how mining companies um, could pollute uh, streams and waterways. Um, secondly, they repealed a rule related to foreign government payments for resource extraction. Um, so basically, uh, they were saying that um, if you go to extract resources like mine, minerals, or oil, or whatever, in a certain other country, if you, let's be fair, bribe the government in that country, you have to disclose that. Uh, they repealed a rule on automatic IRAs for states, which I find very interesting because this has been a Republican um, policy for a very long time. Uh, but basically, the Labor Department rule allowed local governments and states to enroll private sector workers in retirement plans, and um, uh, that the that the government would help fund on behalf of uh, employees in place of things like uh, employer uh, retirement accounts or Social Security in some cases. So they repealed that rule. Um, and most recently, um, I think the big thing that happened here, uh, there are two big things that happened in the last week. One was online privacy rules. So the... Um, What's it called? Um, Corporations can now sell your info. Yeah, so the FCC. That's what I was thinking of. So the FCC, at the end of last year, had passed a rule that required, that would have prohibited internet service providers uh, from selling information about your online activities to advertisers. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, like it would, they had to provide, they had to get rid of certain personally identifiable information and they had to, um, get an opt-in to sell any information, um, even information that wasn't personally identifiable. Now, to be fair, that rule had never gone into effect. That rule was passed, but it hadn't yet gone into effect. It wasn't supposed to go into effect by, until May. So actually, we're, we're, this, we're still at the status quo. Like, they could sell your information right now. They can track you and they can sell your information right now. As of May, they wouldn't have been allowed to. But Congress decided to repeal that rule, so they will still continue to be able to sell your information, including, by the way, Social Security number, address, things like that, health data. Um, uh, and they don't have to have your consent. So there's no opt-in or opt-out. They can just do it without even asking you. And further, uh, Trump signed a series of executive, or he signed a single executive order that undoes several regulations. Uh, related to climate change. Um, so one of the things that it does, um, it repeals, for example, the rules on uh, carbon dioxide emissions from power plants that were part of the Clean Power Plan, uh, regulations that were surrounding coal. Uh, it also uh, eliminates the regulations on um, uh, fuel economy for cars, um, among other things. But those are the big highlights. Oh, and uh, so the other thing, too, is it just came up today, I think. Um, Republicans are now, uh, they've set their targets on undoing regulations um, in the Dodd-Frank. So in the, in the wake of the financial collapse in 2008, 
um, you know, Congress passed Dodd-Frank, which basically allowed, um, gave regulators more control over um, making sure we didn't have another banking collapse, uh, and also instituted things like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, Republicans are now proposing legislation to take that away. That includes getting rid of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that, for example, uh, just got a $100 million settlement from Wells Fargo for the Wells Fargo scandal, where they were basically creating fake accounts for customers that they didn't want and charging them fees on those accounts. Um, that's what that bureau does. That would go away. Another thing that they've done is um, there are regulations relating to banks needed to have enough liquid capital to cover their investments in case there was a run on the banks. That would go away. Um, there were regulations around um, allowing the Fed to step in and help um, manage bankruptcies for failing banks uh, to ensure taxpayer and uh, investor uh, confidence in the case that a bank is failing. That would go away. Um, yeah, things like that. I like it. <laughs> okay, so explain why. Gotta, we gotta drain the swamp. It's too, uh, it's too swampy. And the best way to do that is have uh, Goldman Sachs executives deregulate financial institutions. It's the free goddamn market. right it is. It's not Goldman we need Sachs. Deregulate everything. We need to get rid of the Department of Education, the Department of Environmental thing. You know, just try and recreate Mad Max. Like, as much as we can, you know, like, nuke the crap out of everything. And once we've gotten to Mad Max, there's no swamp. Because as you remember, in Mad Max, there's fucking desert everywhere. No swamp. I mean, the logic is hard to argue. That was profound. So I know how I mean, feel about this, say? so I let other people talk. I feel like I want Marco to talk. Just because he hasn't been able to talk a lot. Oh, man. Okay. Um, well, we kind of talked about it last time, but I guess episode zero didn't really count. It, it goes back to the whole argument where, or mostly Republican argument, that government is bad. So I hate seeing that we're putting people in positions where they're going to make government bad. Like you said, Goldman, putting people, uh, executives of Goldman Sachs in, in, in charge of uh, economic policies or, you know, uh, I guess the Betsy DeVos thing was a little more, um, made a little more sense. So having, having someone in charge of the uh, Department of Education that never had public education, had never had their kids in public education, it just seems weird. It seems like you're putting the wrong people to make uh, in the wrong departments and you're obviously doing it to make it fail. So I, I want to hear conservatives. I want to hear the conservative argument for these rolling back these regulations. All right, uh, let's go in order here. Environmental. Um, a carbon tax on coal power plants would just raise energy prices and it would just be a drop in the bucket in terms of... Uh, carbon emissions so I think I agree with that 
there was no carbon tax. You said you you mentioned carbon taxes on power plants. No, I didn't. There is no carbon tax. There were regulations that said that they had to yeah. get to a certain carbon output, but there's not a tax. All right, yeah. That, then. So the regulations there are bad. And... Okay, go ahead. Public school, I'm not a big fan, so I'm fine with people looking for alternative methods of school. Just I mean, you don't want well, this troll. That, that's like saying that the Titanic is sinking, so we're going to take all the funding out of saving the Titanic and just let it freaking sink. You know, like the Titanic's taking on water. What you do is you try and get more people to freaking bail it out. Are you Instead are you implying that the more money you spend in education, the better results you get? Because the evidence. No, if, you, so if, if you spend it smart, then yes. But this like this race yeah. to the top so bullshit and this no child left behind bullshit isn't that you're dumping everyone to the ground. It just means that maybe you're spending it smart. Maybe it does mean you're dumping it to the ground. I mean, you're getting rid of the Department of Education. How are you spending it smart? When you have nobody telling you how to spend it. Um, well, first, they're not trying to get rid of the so Department of God. Education. Yes, they are. There's literally a bill in the Senate that's uh, it's out of the center of the House that says... Like, yeah, we've already been over this. And literally, Steve Bannon said the reason that Betsy DeVos was put in charge was to run the Department of Education into the ground. Yeah, but what does he mean by that? What do you mean, what does he mean by that? That's not like right. something you can interpret many ways. Like, unless you think that you want Betsy DeVos to tunnel and meet the mole people in Antarctica. What are you going to do afterwards? Maybe he's like, I'm going to run it down into the ground right now, and later I'm going to rebuild it. I mean, you don't know. So, like, going apocalyptic scenario isn't really fair. I mean, that's, that's an unfair argument, because they're not saying, like, hey, they've always said, we don't need the Department of Education. They're not saying, we should make it better, we should adjust it, we should do this. They're just saying, we don't want this, we don't want government. It's not like they're giving you, like, but, we want to do this. The argument ends at, we don't want this, and that's it. I think very much for keeping public education. I know I'm supposed to generally agree with privatization and finding alternative means. Uh, however, someone who attended public school and the value in at least giving kids the opportunity of education, seeing as though our that's what taxpayer money does, it funds public services, education being one of them. And so I, don't, I agree in the ability to have choice, uh, uh, the ability to pay money in order to receive uh, a uh, private school education, whatever those benefits may include, but also the public schooling aspect should not be eliminated because there are several circumstances in which public education does prepare people for college and for uh, their careers past their schooling. Uh, well, I mean, you went to like school in a really wealthy area. I mean, at the end of the day, schools get 90% of their money from property taxes in, like, the area. So it really just depends on, like, how wealthy the people are in the region. So, 
Well, that's an argument I mean, for changing get, the like, way schools are funded, not getting rid of public schools. Hmm? You are arguing that. Oh, so you are arguing that money does make a difference in schools? Ooh. I mean, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. But um, I think at the end of the day, like, the culture really decides education and dumping money into it. At, at a certain point, like, money doesn't become very productive at all. And so. Sorry, but it just sounds like you, we can't dump money into it. It has to just be there already. We can't dump money into it? Yeah, you're saying that ooh, it goes against I saying... I we are the, right now. I mean, yeah, of course, but you just said that, that you grew up in a wealthy area, which means the money's there. Yeah, the thing is, is we can't afford it. Um, I have no idea what point Brett's trying to make here. I, I don't either, but the idea that we can't afford it is bullshit. Again, largest economy in the history of the world. Highest individual income per capita in the world. We can afford pretty much anything that we want. Well, it needs to... It needs to mm, no. I mean, can everyone afford a car? Can, we, can the government afford to buy everyone a car? Almost 90% of American households have a car, so... Yeah, I know, but could the government afford to buy everyone a car? Not households, every person. Sure. I don't, I don't think so. What about a house? Does someone, can we do the math on that? Yeah. I'm more interested in just the math problem than the actual There's limits to what we can do. I mean, the, the government isn't just like an endless piggy bank. That you just go we on, and there's a point what the like, fuck? And then there's a point that like at a certain point, like if you if you give too many, if people like buy too many things, and if they receive too much, you just get materialistic to the point where you're just making ridiculous. You're like you're just talking, <laughs> like you're not making arguments, like. Of so course, by the way, it would cost it would cost eight point one trillion dollars to give two hundred and eighty million Americans a thirty thousand dollar car, which is less than half of our GDP. So a tax rate of forty five percent could fund that. Wait, how much was it? Eight point one trillion dollars. Yeah, that's a shit ton. That's more than our budget. <laughs> yeah, but we What's our budget? It. Three trillion. Yeah, about three point two. That's saying we get a car every year. How long is a car going to really last? Yeah, exactly. It's not like it would cost $8.1 trillion every single year. Average car I'm okay with thing. a new car every, like, five years. Not every year. That's excessive. Right. So, therefore, it would cost less than, what, $1.8 trillion a year? That's, like, half. That's, like, less than a 50% increase in the budget. So, anyway. Regardless, these arguments are stupid. Where's my car? The fact is, <laughs> we know we, we weird. <laughs> private schools don't do any better than public schools. A lot of times, they do worse than public schools. And the the main like, the majority of what the Department of Education does. What the hell is that? I yawned. So. Uh, the majority so then of what that the Department that, of Education that, does that, is actually Pell Grants for college God. students 
and they do uh, particular funding for uh, like disadvantaged schools. China is pretty poor. I mean, the average Chinese student, they don't have a whole lot of resources yet. They kick our asses in like every little test. Yeah, but this is an argument. I'm saying money. that like, if you like cater, if you if you focus on like catering to students and like giving them like the highest like quality stuff around, and I'm sorry, you like, I, I don't understand. You, the point you, you, you don't there. put like a whole lot of effort like, um, in them putting effort in. You just have a backward system that isn't going to help anyone. You're just saying words. Like, there's nothing, there's no argument here. Like, there are arguments to be made about education policies, right? Like, there are things that we do poorly here that have nothing to do with the amount of funding. But that has nothing to do, I mean, the best school systems in the world are public. I mean, Finland is consistently ranked at near the top of school systems in the world. They literally outlaw private schools. That way, everyone has a skin in the game. Everyone has to pay. Like, a rich person has to care about the quality of public education because they can't go to a private school. And they have one of the best education systems in the world. Yeah, but you said that private schools don't test as well as public schools. On, on average, they're about the same. In and poor countries, better. countries that are a lot poorer than the United States that have a lot less services in terms of education test way better than the United States. So ultimately, yeah, so I think it's up to culture. If you cater to a failing system, it's just going to make it fail more. It isn't going to improve it. When you, when you add and you say, oh... Our students are failing in computer science. Let's let's give them all free laptops and let them take them home and do like coding lessons. They're just going to fuck laptops if there's that, no. That, that's not fair because like part of improving the education system is making the students want to learn and making learning something that isn't considered to be a chore. Like in Finland, they don't assign as much homework as we do, and they let children spend more time outside and spend time being children. By, like, yeah, overloading kids money. with homework and, like, having them do a shit ton of homework and overloading them with work, you make work and homework and learning feel like a bad thing and something that they have to do even though they don't want to, something they have to escape from. And that's not good. The reason that China does so well, as you, the way you said it is, is because the way that they have people learn is not very healthy towards the child, which is, we're going to make you study. And if you don't study, you bring shame upon your family. And that doesn't do wonders for the child's psyche. I mean, like, I'd say that I overall it's have a child. productive. I think overall I would rather have a child who wasn't entirely successful in life or, you know, didn't, wasn't able to go to, like, the best college ever and just did all right than someone who went to, like, Harvard and is just massively traumatized because of all I had to put them through in order to get them there. I don't know if it's true still. Or maybe it's true at all. But isn't there like a, a high like suicide rate in Japan for students that don't uh, make it into college? Like for the entry yeah. exam? 
I'm not sure about the education. I know work-related suicide is much more prevalent. I can't, I can't, I can't answer on the actual suicides due to lack of acceptance into top universities. But it's very, it is very plausible. It is very plausible. The stress that kids from those countries go through is horrific. I mean, I wouldn't call it horrific. They perform better in like all categories compared to people around the world. That's obviously going to be beneficial in the long run. I mean, if you have students and like your your next generation, your nation is like so much more qualified in every way compared to like Americans, it's going to bode well for you in the long run. So sure, you might get like pressure from like on the person's psychology and you might get like suicides but then in the day i think that it's beneficial overall but those countries have public health or have public school systems none of the arguments you're making are relevant to private versus public no but their system is different that's what i'm saying well no i think i'm not talking about the system i'm talking about the culture the culture is what drives education it isn't that that whether or not it's public or private or whether or not it's funded or well funded. It's the culture that that determines the quality of education that someone gets and so how much effort they put in. So how does so, fix I mean Well basically you save fucking money. You don't have to like spend a shit ton on things that don't matter. Because at the end of the day, like going to high school was a complete waste of time for me. Um, in terms of like history class, geography, Bible class, most kids don't pay attention to that. Most kids want to learn like basic skills that will get them into the workforce. Like I haven't, I failed to like number the amount of times like a kid has said like, when are we ever going to use this in the real world? And most people like don't like ninety percent of the skills that you learn in high school, you don't like use it whatsoever in the real world i mean that's not true though like the whole thing is all these things that you learn they teach you skills and these skills are skills that you learn uh not that you learn that you're able to use in what's it called your real life like learning history helps you think about things and put things in perspective learning math teaches you how to think analytically yeah, and that should be open to people who actually like want to learn history and math. Like, I mean, if, if your aims in life are really narrow, like, I mean, everyone, why, why would you care? Everyone who is essentially a speaking a student could learn, could afford to learn some math or some literature because all of these things are very helpful and all these things help you learn skills that can take you further in life. Like by learning math, as I said, you can learn to think analytically. Most careers are helpful in terms of thinking analytically. Like I can't think of a career in which thinking analytically would not be helpful. Well, I also feel like this doesn't apply to private versus public, so I think we can move on. Um, in terms of the environmental regulations, so here are the things that the repeal of the environmental regulation or the executive order does. It starts to roll back the Clean Power Plan, uh, which basically just said 
uh, states had to reduce their uh, emissions from existing power plants by 32% below 2005 levels by 2030. Um, that actually hadn't gone into effect because it was still in court. Um, actually, I mainly think it was in court from the current EPA head, Scott Pruitt. I think he was one of the people that sued. Um, reconsider carbon standards for new coal plants. Um, so, yeah, so the existing, the, uh, the CO2 standards for anyone who wanted to build a new plant under the old rules uh, made it very difficult to build a new coal-burning facility in the United States. Uh, unless it could capture its carbon emissions and sequester them underground, which is actually something that um, certain, some oil companies already do. Uh, in particular, there's an oil company in um, Norway that does that, I think. Um, reconsider regulations on methane emissions from oil and gas operations. That's a big thing that comes up when uh, with fracking in particular. There's a lot of natural gas that's let out when, during those uh, operations. Revisit social costs of carbon used to justify climate regulations. So the EPA is tasked with regulating carbon uh, because it does prevent uh, under the Clean Air Act. Um, so they had to basically say what the cost of it was in order to regulate it. So they're going to revisit that. Um, and then there's a few other things. Um, mainly, like I said, around fuel, fuel efficiency standards, things like that. I, I think the, the point that I want to make is I, all these deregulations that are going through, like who's asking for this, right? Like the regulation on the automatic IRA for employees that don't have retirement accounts at work. Like, who, Republican or Democrat, was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to have a retirement account. Sure. Like, I don't, I don't want any help getting a retirement account. Like, who was sitting here saying that, uh, oh, like, I really... I don't want a retirement should... account. Yeah, well, who was sitting here saying, like, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, oil companies should be able to disclose when they bribe foreign governments? Like, who put that at the top of their list? Who was saying... Yeah, I think the insurance or the ISP companies should be able to sell my information without telling me. Like, like what are the, who are these regulations serving? Yeah, I uh, I feel you on that. I feel like the Republicans in this case are just kind of doing blanket statements and saying like, well, all regulations are bad, so we're just throwing them out. Like the one that I'm stuck on is the what was the first one you mentioned? The steamer what was that steamer. Uh, the one about coal mine, coal mine, uh, putting oh, the stream, stream, yeah. So there was, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So like dump, dumping into the rivers, like yeah. how I, I could see, yeah, you're gonna save money <laughs> just dumping into a stream, but like who who's saying that that's a good idea? Like, well, so here is here a financial. Was... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I just want to say, and I'll let you get back to it. But here is what the rule does. It says there were two main components to it. One. A company that wants to open a surface or underground mine needs to avoid causing damage to the hydrologic balance of waterways outside of its permit area. Um, it goes into, a, there's a lot of detail about what that means, but basically it's a stricter limit on dumping waste and debris and surrounding ecosystems and waterways. Second, the second part of it is, companies and regulators have to do a baseline assessment of what the nearby ecosystems and waterways look like before any new mining begins. Then they have to monitor the affected streams during mining. And if they mess it up, they have to develop a plan for restoring it back to what they measured that it was before they did the mining. 
That was really what the rule does. Like, who was sitting here? And, like, they went through, and the analysis showed that the outside analysis estimated the rule would improve water quality in 263 miles of streams each year between now and 2040. And in terms of the impact to workers, um, the agency did agree the rule would make certain mining projects uneconomic and reduce annual coal employment by 124 jobs between now and 2040. The coal industry has lost 25,000 jobs since 2012. Like, who is this rule serving? It's serving Trump and his $8 billion, I think it's like nine, $8, 9000000000 billion cabinet. Exactly. I mean, it's like, this is the thing. They're passing rules that are just like, we're just, we're just deregulating just for the sake of deregulating. Right? There's no real attention paid. The reason they're doing this is because they can do it via the Congressional Review Act which basically allows them to overturn regulations that were made in the last six months, right, with congressional review. And not only do they overturn the regulations, but those regulations can never be put in place again, right? This has nothing to do with the validity of these regulations. They're just doing it because they can, because they have the ability. So, like, the the goal here isn't any specific ideology. Again, the auto IRA rule, this was a Republican proposal to help privatize retirement away from Social Security was giving states and cities the right to enroll their employees that didn't have employer-sponsored retirement accounts to enroll them in retirement accounts that the government helped fund. That was a Republican plan as an alternative to Social Security, and they're they're repealing it now just because they can. Right? Like, there's no reason for them to do it. Well, with the environmental regulations, I'm not saying necessarily that I agree with uh, some of what's happening, but I know Trump's been ranting about coal miner jobs and how potentially these regulations are constraining their ability to operate in their respective industries. However, seeing as though we're... I mean, like, you say that as if coal mining is this desirable, amazing job that everyone wants to do. Like, the whole thing about coal is that, one, it's horribly unsustainable. It's bad for the people who mine it. It's bad for the people who who essentially use it. It creates higher carbon emissions. And quite frankly, we'd be better off creating more jobs in the sustainable energy field and getting these people jobs in the sustainable energy field. There's a certain group of people, like in any society, who are willing to compromise their health just to make money. So, But, okay, the reason coal is failing has nothing to do with regulations. The reason coal is failing is twofold. Number one, natural gas is cheaper due to fracking, mostly. Number two... China has drastically cut its coal imports because they're, they've halted all their, like, they're not building any, they just canceled 18 new coal power plants. There's still some that are being built, but they are halting, they're slowing down coal power plants, right? I think it was Denmark or Norway, one of them. They just banned coal. Like, by 2030, they won't be able to use coal in the country ever again. The idea that 
this stream rule that you can't dump debris into a, a stream and or even if you do you just have to fix it when you're done that that's killing coal jobs no like those 25,000 coal jobs that were last since 2012 that happened before any of these regulations went into effect the clean power plant still isn't in effect it's still in court <clears throat> the stream rule hadn't gone into effect that's why it just got repealed i mean is it helping you can't say that it's making it, it easier we should kill coal like i'm sick and tired of this bullshit argument about like oh it's a war on coal we can't pick winners and losers no you pick a winner and a loser coal sucks and i get it for coal workers that are that's what they know look my dad when he got laid off from his job where he was purchasing manager at a factory and they closed the factory and he got laid off he didn't want a new job he didn't want to be retrained to do something else he didn't want to go back to college he liked what he did he was good at it he just wanted that job again i understand that's the way coal miners feel right they could you know democrats the problem they have is they always talk about well we want to retrain them we want to put them in clean energy jobs these people don't want clean energy jobs they're good at coal they like coal they know coal but as a society we cannot i mean solar employs more people than coal at this point we cannot continue to hold these communities up on coal we have to give an alternative because coal sucks it's dirty it is subsidized by poor decision making it's like it's bad for the people who are using it and now we already see the the rules the laws that we put in place in order to protect coal miners right so that coal companies had to provide lifetime insurance and health care um i mean retirement and health care these coal companies are not going belly up and they're going bankrupt and they're just not paying out and republicans are assisting in that republicans are consistently re uh, eliminating bills that would set aside funding to make sure that these coal miners who were promised retirement and health care get the retirement and health care that they were promised. Because the coal companies, we essentially deregulated them and we let them say that, oh, we have the money to, to pay these uh, um, retirement and, and health care for the lifetime. But they really didn't. They were fudging the numbers. They go out of business. Turns out they can't pay it. And now the coal miners are screwed. Why are we trying to protect that business model? It's a bad business. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like if you get rid of coal mining in West Virginia, it's going to fuck over the whole region. And you can say, oh, yeah, well, they'll just mine. If you keep coal mining, you're going to fuck over the whole world. I mean, climate change doesn't go away. It's not going to, I don't think it weighs that well in terms of like carbon emissions from U.S. coal. It's not really driving climate change. What, yes, what coal it is. is. Yes. From well, the coal U.S. On the, only? Well, coal, coal on a general scale, anybody who uses coal around the world contributes to change in climate Climate with her in this. Jesus, Phil, you so, need to look. The United States is the second largest polluter in the in the world, behind China. China's big problem comes from coal. The United States, we get about I think it's what twenty to thirty percent of our energy production right now from coal. So yeah, coal is a big part of this. But but the, arguing that you stop at coal again. 
the clean power plant applied to all all power plants had to reduce their carbon emissions to to thir- by 32%. It wasn't just coal. The problem is coal's hurt hardest because it's the dirtiest. Yeah, but I mean, we're still ignoring the fact like what happens when coal goes out of business in West Virginia. Yeah, you gotta like give what's gonna happen to jobs. those people. I mean, it isn't just the workers; it's the families that rely on the workers. No, and no one, agree. I don't think I haven't heard oh. of any startups in West Virginia. Well, wait, 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 isn't isn't the Republican argument that if you can't find work where you are, just move? I mean, that's the conservative idea, right? Um, it's that's a free market libertarian one. But if we're talking about a nationalist one now. If I could, in the ideal, there's no ideal world, but if somehow their wages and, well, not wages, but retirement savings were insured and they, they, they were able to be compensated uh, uh, proportionally to what they've contributed already, then they wouldn't be too much in a, they wouldn't be suffering to such a great extent. Or if they're in their own best interests. Yeah, just give them a big possible. fat welfare check. That will solve it. Take no, away a man's livelihood. Take not away culture. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But give them, not, give them money. Well, not necessarily, not necessarily a, a welfare check, but say if West Virginia relies relied so much on energy production using unclean methods then but wouldn't it be beneficial to have energy to invest in in energy production in west virginia so that people can still fuel and maintain their wage rates and contribute to the overall economy i don't think anybody's arguing that you put people on welfare rolls to fix this the, the bills that have consistently been passed have been to retrain people that were in coal mining, right? Those have, so there has been numerous bills that Republicans have fought every single time. Mitch McConnell in particular has been criticized heavily by Appalachian miners for continuing to defeat bills that would allocate up to a billion dollars aside for retraining coal miners, not giving them welfare for giving them an education or a vocational study that they can apply to a new industry. Nobody's arguing that you just give them a welfare check for the rest of their life. Yes, because I, no, they don't want that. They want People want to work. Everybody wants to work. But at some point, that doesn't make any difference for coal. You have to step back and say, the detriments of coal are too high. We can't continue to keep subsidizing this with the, the, the fate of the population, right? At some point, you got to say, like, we can't keep coal mining because if we keep doing this, Miami is going to be underwater in 30 years. But that's not fair to people in Miami. Like, at some point, you have to say, it's not about can we afford to retrain coal miners. It's can we afford to pump Miami 24-7, you know, pump the ocean water out of it. Like, that's the real problem that we're facing now. I mean, in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina today, 
they get the the, the streets flood when there doesn't even rain because the water level the sea level has risen so much that the sewers overflow how much has the sea level risen uh i mean i don't know the exact number but it's i think it's like a a few feet yeah no a couple of feet something like that like the the worst long term projections for climate change is like one degree Celsius increase of the average temperature no, 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 over no, no, no. hundred five years. degrees Celsius. If we do nothing, if we change nothing, it will be five degrees Celsius. We're at one and a half degrees Celsius right now, or at one sorry one point one degrees Celsius I think. Yeah, so, I mean, what I'm saying is, like, your impacts are pretty nebulous. I mean, what the fuck is going to happen in 100 years? No, the impacts are not nebulous. Are we even going to be around by then? The says if we don't change anything about it. People are going to be around. I'm not going to be around in 100 years, but I care about people besides myself. No, I mean, people in general. You don't know that. Well, they won't be if they're underwater. What if we come up with some The only viable farmland in the world is in Africa. What I I think that Brett is trying to say is that our descendants are going to be mer people. Hmm? Yeah, seems like it. Well, Brett. Well, so I I also also so technology innovates exponentially in terms of like computer science and whatever. So, I mean, saying something is going to happen in a hundred years isn't that big of a deal because I feel like. Now, I know that there will be technology to compensate for that. And ultimately, I mean, in order to secure the survival of the human species, we need to uh, move to different planets and become extraterrestrial. So climate change would provide the perfect incentive to go beyond and colonize. Because if Earth is nice and comfy and everything is fine and everyone's living in peace and holding hands, we're just going to get swallowed by the dirt. Yeah, I think we should totally just ignore the entire consensus of the climatologist global community in the favor of Brett. No! That sounds right. That's not what I'm saying, but we shouldn't fuck over other people because that's the only impact that we have. People are going to get fucked over either way. What do you think is going to happen to Tesla employees? If we shift back to fossil fuels, right? People have this tied to the past of we have to protect industries to have a staple. Tesla employs people. And part of the way they employ people is we were investing in renewable energies. Guess what happens when you stop investing in renewable energies? Tesla has to fire people. Nobody gives a shit about them. Why is Tesla so reliant? And losers. Why is Tesla reliant on like government subsidies? It's not. It's reliant on shifting towards renewable sources. It's reliant on the... Uh, the I mean, the only meet, people that I fuel efficiency standards are fucking rich. It's reliant on having to meet fuel efficiency standards. Like, the, the best way to meet the fuel efficiency standards that were part of the regulations were electric cars. Okay. So I also want to just finish up talking about the... Talking about the, the, the internet privacy thing, because I don't see, again, I ask, who is asking for this? And, and I think the Orwellian excuses that they're using to, to, to put this or to pass this are just unbelievable. So the, the senator who helped pass this, basically, and I forget what her name was, but 
her argument was basically like the the argument that is being made in favor of repealing these regulations is that oh well Google and Facebook don't have to uh, you know they're allowed to sell your information for advertising stuff like that so why not your ISPs right this actually like this is the Orwellian stuff they use that they're actually improving privacy by making it more uh, equitable. So, like, everybody's doing the same thing. There's not different rules for Google and Facebook versus Comcast. And it's like, wait, if you're making the argument that the privacy standards of Facebook and Google suck, then how are you improving privacy by bringing Comcast and AT&T standards down to their level? That it's just doesn't even make sense. So, I think that we've discussed this a lot, and we've had a lot of really great points. But at the same time... We've been here for a good two hours and 40 minutes. Oh, I'm wussing out. I, I, not wussing out, just I feel like <laughs> like we should like kind of, I feel like we've, we've had the extent of the conversation that we can have. I feel like all of us have made, to some extent, our points on the matter. And I feel like this would be a good point to just stop or at the very least like take a break or something. Okay, I think it's okay. All right. Well, yeah, I I agree with uh, net neutrality. So, yippee! That's right. uh. So we end in the episode. Yeah. So thank you all, all for right. listening, and we're going to end with a segment I like to call "Music for Mitch McConnell." Wow. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I just thought that would be interesting. I just thought that would be an interesting segment name. Music from Mitch McConnell. Uh, <laughs> add, add it in and editing. Okay. I have to find some song about turtles, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like just like what, what was that show? Like I think it was like Franklin or something. Mm, I don't know what you're talking about. There, there was this TV show about a, about a freaking turtle. I think it's like called Franklin or something. Oh. Oh, yes. Okay, I will find the theme song for that. Just, just play that every time. Yeah. Music from Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Just a different... Oh, no, I know exactly what song we should play. For Mitch McConnell. What's that? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.